The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Sam Unger Real Estate Team, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit samsellsorlando.net. What's up, night fans? Happy Championship Week. Jeff Sharon with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We've got a full house with you uh, for this show. we got Eric Lopez. we got Brian Murphy. we got all kinds of football talk for you on what is the busiest news week of the, uh, of the year so far in UCF Athletics. Um, we're all exhausted from this news week. It just won't end. Um, we're recording this on I know. Wednesday. Brian, Mur- Brian Murphy, set the, set, the, set the record straight right now. Do you have a deal with Nightline right now? Come clean. <laughs> I, I can neither confirm nor deny my allegiance. All right. I, any... This is me officially questioning your loyalty. <laughs> oh, get out of here. I'm going to throw you out of here. <laughs> I mean, you can't sure, throw Nightline me out of my own podcast. Better... <laughs> is this because Nightline has better facilities in their studios there that Jeff's been to? Or to what, what, what's it called? The uh, Nightline uh studios there is that what it, this is about it's about facility no it's it? because his parents live next door to andrew fegley well that's true, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> all right well all right in all seriousness though we'll get we're gonna get uh we're gonna get to football talk uh like actual on-field football talk here in the show in a little while uh we'll recap the uh um, the just the, the unbelievable game that was between ucf and usf um in the uh, in the season finale, War on I four just living up to all of its billing. We'll get to uh, previewing the conference championship game against Memphis. The Knights and the Tigers hooking up for a second time this year at Spectrum Stadium, and we will get to uh, and we also get to a bunch of other things. Volleyball season um, wraps up uh, with another twenty win campaign. Uh, they got into the postseason. We'll kind of give give you some of the details on that. And lots and lots more. Uh, don't forget, you can hit us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy. And you can subscribe to our podcast on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. All right, boys, let's get down to business. Um, the rumor mill has just been churning at a feverish pace such that I think the wheel is about to break off and, and go down the Ouch. river. Um, the, uh, Scott Frost, it seems is about to coach his final game at UCF. I say it seems because obviously nothing has been confirmed yet. Um, there are reports all over the place that, you know, he really is torn but uh, you know, obviously, Florida. Uh, he uh, over the weekend after the USF game, he called up Florida, said no, thank you. Uh, Nebraska, the other domino fell when Nebraska fired Mike Riley, <clears throat> which was pretty much expected. And uh, and in Frost's press conference on Monday, uh, well, I'll leave this to you guys too because uh, you know, unfortunately, I couldn't make it because I was working. But uh, but you guys were there. Um, you know, he it was very. My impression from you know watching it afterwards was it was very lawyerly, right? Don't say anything that can get you into trouble. Just just play it right down the middle, 
And that's exactly what he did because Scott Frost apparently listened when he went to media training. Um, but we're feeling the tide turn such that, you know, as we get toward the second half of the week with the, comp- with the American Athletic Conference championship game against Memphis approaching, that his days at UCF may indeed be numbered. So um, I'll leave this to you guys. What was really the impression that you got? Well, I mean, I kind of disagree with you a little bit, Jeff, because I got the impression of a coach who probably could have said a lot less than he did. I mean, he knew the questions were going to be there about Nebraska and the coaching rumors. And so when he was served them up, he could have said, I'm not going to address them. I'm not going to do anything. And he, actually, he did that on the teleconference earlier in the day because I'm not going to talk about it. And he passed it over. But as we kept asking him about it on the press conference on Monday, um, he he did give us a little a little answers here and there that were interesting. I mean, the one about um, I, I I forget who asked it. I think it was uh, Andrea Adelson who asked, um, you know, what do you think about the AD of Nebraska coming out and saying he's interested in you? Uh, are you interested in Nebraska? And and he and he could have said, I'm not going to talk about that. This is all about conference championship week. And he but he said. I'd be hurt if Nebraska wasn't interested in me. Now, if you're trying to calm the waters and sort of quell <laughs> speculation, why would you say something like that? Um, and there were a lot of those sorts of moments in the press conference where it's like, that's an interesting thing for him to say at this moment when he could have just gone, like I said in my article about it, he could have just gone full Belichick. He could have gone full Belichick and said, we're on to Memphis and just cut it off of the past. And he didn't. And I think that was somewhat telling. And I actually, I appreciate the honesty because you don't see that much. Right. And I, I did come away at feeling that this is truly a man conflicted, if not over the job he's going to choose. Let's say he already knows he's going to go to Nebraska. He is conflicted because it's really going to be difficult for him to leave these kids here in Orlando. Yeah, that, that, and, and we actually have that bite right here. Let's go ahead and take a listen to it. I'd be hurt if Nebraska wasn't interested in me. We're we're undefeated. I'm from there. Um, I, I when you win, a lot of people are interested in you. That doesn't matter. Like I said, what matters is these players and what they've accomplished, and um, they deserve the focus to be on them and not me. Elo, what'd you think about that? I agree with Murph. Uh, I give him credit. Look, coaches. It's funny. Fans are always interesting. Uh, there, there, there's two of these going on in the state right now. Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. All indications are he's going to go to Texas A and M. Two, and 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 he addressed it by I don't talk jobs. I don't talk jobs. You know, he just deflects all questions. Right, and and, and then that's kind of agitating. I thought Scott was very honest, and I think he's always been honest about this whole thing. Um, that's what I think is both. hilarious. That is that. And this is this is the the and forgive me, Eric, but this is this is the the catch twenty two that we in the media and athletes and coaches we always play. We we get frustrated when athletes and coaches don't say anything, right? And we're like, oh, you guys aren't saying anything. I mean, you guys are being, you know, it, it's like a form of dishonesty that we get that that we get upset about. And then when guys actually say something that's refreshingly honest, like Scott Frost saying, hey. I'd be I'd actually be a little hurt if Nebraska wasn't interested in me as a coach, basically meaning I think I'm that good and Nebraska's that special. I mean, he's not saying anything we don't know, right? And sure. and he get and he gets 
and he gets kind of raked over the coals a little bit by some of the um by some of the, by some of the black and gold you know colored glasses wearing people out there well he was honest like what what more do you want you it, it's a catch 22 and it happens all the time and it, it drives me crazy well, the thing is, there's nothing. There's he's in a no-win situation, right? Because people are. I, I know I've heard people say, "Well, why doesn't he just come out and say it?" Well, what do you want him to say? Okay, why would I'm he do that, <laughs> right? If he says, if he says, "Guys, I'm just going to let you know I'm leaving. This will be my last game." Well, now all of a sudden, that just even creates more of like, "Oh my god, I can't believe he's leaving." People would be upset. Players would be like, you know, now emotionally would be kind of, whoa, what's going on? What, what do you oh, mean you're leaving? And, oh, and, and, and yeah, then, the compl- the players would completely check out. Well, and that's the thing. It it, it, it part and and you you would also have a week where people are trying to convince him to change his mind. <laughs> so it'd be crazy. It'd be chaos. Uh, if he says, "Hey guys, I I'm staying." Uh, well, what? What? Okay, but then he could change. He turns out he doesn't. Now he's Nick Saban, right? Nick Saban did the old I'm staying with the Dolphins I'm not t- looking at any college jobs and then he takes the Alabama job um, if he says guys I really don't know what I'm going to do then people are like oh my god what do you mean you don't know what you're going to do what do, you, what, what, do you know today do you know tomorrow I mean it's never going to end so uh, this is just part of the industry it's part of the gig uh, and I think he's been very honest throughout this process more than other coaches are and let me ask you both this and I, I you know which one of you can maybe take the side you know the, the fan side because I'm going to be honest. I've been laughing the whole week how everybody is in shock about this. And my question is, oh, yeah. why is anybody why is anybody shocked by this? We, Jeff, I think we even approached this topic in September. I want to say it was either before or after the Maryland game. And it was right around the time when Nebraska lost to Northern Illinois. And I remember you asked me about the Nebraska situation, and you told me, you asked me the question on a one to ten scale. How concerned are you? And I'm like nine and a half, and you were caught off guard. Like, duh, this is Nebraska. Yeah, he's been on record of saying in in, in articles in the past about how it's his dream job. Okay, it's his dream job. He's a Nebraska he was- kid, born and raised in the state of Nebraska. He he lived in college. He lived the dream of every Nebraska kid that grew up in the '80s. He was recruit. He he went to Nebraska even after the detour at Stanford. Um, Bill Walsh decided to let let, you know, let him out of his scholarship. He went to Nebraska and he won a national championship, quarterbacking the Cornhuskers for Tom Osborne. Hundreds or, or like tens of thousands of Nebraska-grown kids dream to do that, and he was one of them. And he actually got to do it. And now this opportunity pops up. He's forty-two years old. I, I mean. You know, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this with UCF fans, but he, if 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 the job is offered to him, quite frankly, he'd be stupid to not take it. Yeah, I mean, because this is the thing. Here's the thing: uh, if he wins this game on Saturday, the conference title game, he's done everything he can do here, pretty much. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, you could duplicate things, but what? Whatever. Nebraska is right now coming off a the worst year they've had since in the fifties. And I think if Scott passes on this job, I think a part of him is always going to say, what if, what if I, you know, because I know some people are like, well, he could get the job when he's older, but there's no guarantee of that. Number one. Right. And then number two, you mentioned Tom Osborne. I think Tom, you could correct me here. You could double check for me. I believe Tom Osborne's 80 years old. Do you really, I mean, is Tom, how much longer is Tom Osborne going to be around? Tom's, Tom's 80. That's correct. He's 80 years old. 
Tom Osborne may not be around. I think there's a part of Scott Frost is like, I know I can turn around this program. I know I can win here. And I want to bring back this program and make Coach Osborne proud. And I want Coach Osborne to see me do it. Right. And I think that's a factor in this. I, I, I've called this from a mile away. I'm not surprised at all. I'm shocked that people are shocked by this. And I'm shocked that people don't understand this. Because I don't think this is about money. I don't think this is – this is bigger than football. I think this is a guy that's genuine. Because if it was about money, he would have interviewed with Florida. He probably could wait for Florida State. Well, but I, think I, I, I think the difference, though, is the UCF fans out there who it, it feels like – I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it feels like there's a certain faction of UCF fans that are starting to turn on Scott Frost, even though, first of all, look at what he's done for this program in two years. He's completely changed the culture of UCF football for the better. Uh, and, and, and this is – let's face it. This is uncharted territory – for UCF fans, even though, like I mentioned on Twitter earlier this week, you know there were there was at least one time when, um, when we had to kind of deal with these questions of will he leave with, with George O'Leary, right? Mm-hmm. It was around oh seven oh eight. Syracuse was sniffing around after the the Greg Robinson disaster, uh, and uh, and and I. And I have it on pretty good um, on pretty good authority that he that that they did call him up, and because remember uh, he 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 actually coached up there. He coached for Syracuse. He's, he was an assistant. He was a high school coach in the Syracuse area. Um, and they asked him, Coach, what do you think? And O'Leary turned him down and actually told him um, instead. And this was this was after he signed the big extension too. And uh, and they said. Um, you know, let's first of all, no, thank you. Um, and the guy who you should call is Doug Marone, and Doug Marone became the head coach at Syracuse, um, former player for O'Leary, uh, and and Marone actually had a rather people forget this, but Marone actually had a very successful career as the head coach at Syracuse. Kind of got them back into the bowl bowl conversation once again. But um, I, I don't think it's very fair for for the fans to turn on Scott Frost, considering how much he's done in such a short amount of time. I understand that it feels like, you know, it, 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 it got so hot and heavy there so quickly. And now all of a sudden it feels like he's going to go and, 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 and it feels like, Oh man, are we going back to square one? But the fact remains is we're not going back to square one. Um, that the culture has been changed and the culture is bigger than one guy than one coach or even a few coaches, depending on who, if he leaves, who, whoever decides to go with him. I don't know. What do you think about it, Murph? It's, it's, I, I, I get it, but I don't get it. I'm going to hold off on saying the culture has been changed irrevocably and can never go back because if that was true, 2013 wouldn't have become 2015, two years later. And it happens a lot with a lot of programs. And I'll also say this, as I continue to be the bearer of bad news, it's not just Scott Frost who could and probably will leave. Uh, you know he's tied with his assistants. We know that apparently Troy Walters either is getting some interest or is interested in possibly a head coaching job at Rice. That's a rumor out there. Mm-hmm. But you could definitely see some of his assistant coaches leave with him or take other jobs for other positions. And then you also have to ask, which of these players maybe transfers out because – Again, Mackenzie Milton 
wanted to be Marcus Mariota. And so when Frost goes to UCF, he goes to UCF, he goes to UCF because Frost mentored Mariota. Does that change Milton's mindset now that Frost leaves? Adrian Killen said he committed here because he knew this would be an Oregon style offense and that fits what he does. Otis Anderson said he grew up watching Stewart and Michael James and guess who they are? They're running backs from Oregon. So they, they obviously have a very close connection with Scott Frost. A lot of these players do. We've talked about how young this team is, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So it's not only Frost who leaves that we have to watch, but also other coaches and players who might leave this program. So yeah. to say that to say that it's going to be – that this is a brand-new era and it's just going to be so shiny and, and great – and, and from here on out, I, I, I can't say that because you just don't know in college football. Here's my well, counter to that. Oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. I, I, I was going to counter that in a second. Yeah, the player stuff, uh, wait, let's see who, I mean, if, if Frost leaves. I mean, we're acting like it's done. But, but I mean, let's just say. He's still an if. Still an if at the moment that we're recording this. From a journalistic standpoint, all right. Because, listen, I mean, if, if Tennessee job search has taught us anything, is anything's possible. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's true. Um Anything could change in a blink of an eye. Uh, the thing I will disagree with on the players, for example, like I think Milton is settled in. First of all, they have to sit out a year and things like that. I actually, it, it, they, they're going to say that now, but then the next head coach comes in. If it's, let's say it's hypothetically the guy that's been floated, Kevin Sumlin, if the yeah. player's like, ooh, Kevin Sumlin, that's pretty good. I could be Johnny Menzel, which, by the way, uh, Milton has been compared to. Uh, when he came here. So mm-hmm. players are always going to adapt if they like the coach that's coming in and things like that. I think there are players on the roster that might leave uh, and go where Scott Frost is, but they're not necessarily a full-time player now. And I th- I'm not going to mention names, but I mean, there's certain kids that would make a lot of sense if they went there to get playing time. But regardless of that, we don't know if that will happen based on, you know, who the next head coach is and, and, and who the staff will be and things like that. Uh, but and, look, Danny, the- and Danny White's no idiot. Danny White understands that this roster was made for a certain head coach. It was molded by right. a certain head coach, and the next head coach probably needs to basically basically second that mold because I agree. this is what these players are used to. Exactly. I- so I would I, I'm not as concerned about the player stuff because of that. What you just said there, I, I think the players will be fine. But obviously, yes, the coaching staffs. There's going to be guys that are going to go with Scott Frost in Nebraska and things like that. Look, this is a part of it, though, guys. This is not a surprise. This is what happens when you have success. I don't care. I mean, mm-hmm. why did you know it, it, it happened to USF with Willie Taggart? He left to go to Oregon. Boy, Chris Peterson finally Ooh. left to go to Washington. It's happened uh, to Dane Houston Thornton. three times in the last right. 15 years. This is the landscape of the sport, and hey, I got bad news for you. Pro- more than likely, the next UCF coach that comes in, and if he's successful, he won't be staying long. That's what this job is right now. Uh, yeah. Like it or not, you're not going to get a guy, in my opinion, that's going to stay five, ten years. I can make the argument that it's hard for a guy to stay five to ten years in a major program the way things are today. I mean, look what's unfolding at Florida State with Jimbo Fisher. Heck, when 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 Ohio Urban Meyer for uh, who's had an incredible run at Ohio State, people were like, "Is the program in decline after they got blown out by Iowa?" Uh, Nick Saban, Luke, God forbid, lost a game to Auburn this past weekend, and I'm watching Paul Feinbaum and Bama fans are ripping him because he's been playing <laughs> Jalen Hurts, and why doesn't he play a real quarterback? So. Uh, it's hard, man. I, I think the days of having a coach for 10 to 20 years at a place are very, 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 I think, are the exception to the rule now. I, I think, yeah. to me, if you can get a coach for four, five, six years, uh, and eight years and get a good run, you're, you're, you're ahead of the game. 
to go back to a previous point that I was going to make, um, I- I'll tell you why I do think the culture has been changed, and it has to do with a guy that you mentioned, Danny White. Uh, he signed a contract amendment. Uh, uh, his contract is for five years, but uh, it is, uh, it's automatically for one year annually on the anniversary date of his hire. But that, 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 was a, that lengthened commitment from Danny White um, was a big boost to the entire athletic program. I've, in fact, I could even argue that it was a that it's a, it's a bigger deal for UCF athletics than whatever may happen with Scott Frost. Um, and like we said, Danny White is not a stupid person. He has seen what this system has done. You know, the, the sort of the Oregon style spread offense, which is just exciting and fun and makes headlines and is just puts together a really amazing product on the field and gets recruits in the door. Uh, and then also the defense as well, which you know flies around and creates turnovers, even though they give up a ton of yards. But this is the kind of fun. This this is the kind of athletic to, of football program that he wanted to put together. So whether it's Scott Frost running the ship, or if it's somebody else, if it is like for example, you say Eric Kevin Sumlin, or if let's say. Uh, let's let's say Frost leaves and Troy Walters gets a shot as as a head coach here. That you know, that's I, I don't think that's changing. We're not going back to the three yards in the cloud of dust, you know, pro set stuff that O'Leary used to do. That is in the past. This is the new brand of UCF football, and I think that that's here to stay. It might get tweaked a little bit from you know from coach to coach over the years, but this style, this brand of football, is not going anywhere. But that doesn't guarantee that uh, things will stay the same. I mean, yeah, you might bring somebody in and it doesn't work out. So there's no guarantees. And hell, there's no guarantees if Scott Frost stays that the success would continue. I mean, that's why I laughed. You know, I'm laughing that people are, oh, well, Scott Frost, you know, you know, say people were wondering if Scott Frost would even work after last year. People were like outraged that they lost Arkansas state in the uh, bowl game. Yeah. Everyone, so things, it, yeah people were kind of a little hurt after it, I mean, it was because we lost the last three, even though we should have lost the last three. Right. So, uh, you just never know, right. You just never know. Um, I think you're right though. I think Danny white has proven since he's been here, like just about every hire he's made has made a lot of sense. Right. I think we all could agree on that. And I think he knows what he's doing. And uh, thank God he's not like John Curry at Tennessee or the people at Arizona State oh, that are yeah. going to hire Herman Edwards. So we're fine. I think, you know, that's the thing. I'm not – UCF's going to be fine. UCF's gone through a lot of different things in this program. We've, got, we've gone through two winless seasons, for crying out loud, um, among other things. So Who are we to complain? <laughs> yeah, no, we're fine. And I don't think anybody should be mad at Scott Frost. This makes a lot of sense. What I mean, he's probably – getting offered more money, more security from a long-term. I'm sure this is a lengthy contract. He's probably got a lot of power there that he will get and things like that. If he decides to go there, I don't blame him whatsoever. I, I, I think to me, if you're a UCF fan, take note that he turned, he basically didn't even want to talk to Florida. He didn't, you know, I don't think this was a situation of him not being happy. UCF. if anything, I think UCF's made this more complicated probably for him. I think, I, I do think he he really enjoys it being here. I think he enjoys the players. I think he enjoys the people he's working with. And I think he enjoys the staff that he has built. And I think this is tough because he knows, 
you know, if he leaves, it's not like he's going to be able to bring every staff member. In a way, they're going to break up a little bit. So it's a, it's an emotional time. It's a difficult prop decision uh, for him. And and uh, I I I have no I I I don't blame him whatsoever. I I I I think he's been upfront, and I commend him for that. Any fans? Fans can be. Sad, sad, and defrost leads. They can be disappointed because their coach isn't sticking around. But if anybody is actually upset or angry at him or thinks that he is has betrayed UCF, if he leaves, needs to get out of their head and needs to realize the bigger picture of what not only what UCF has done, but what they, what he's done for UCF, but what Scott Frost, what this means for him. You have to understand this is a dream job that he is possibly getting. It is uh, what really maybe the only chance he'll have. Because you know that job's not going to open for at least two or three more years, and who knows who Nebraska hires. Maybe the guy who they hire instead of Frost would be really good, and the job never comes open. So if he leaves, just you can be sad, you can be disappointed, you can kick the ground, but you just don't be angry. Don't 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 take it on Scott Frost. He's he's the last person you need to be upset so, about. Except, except so here, here's my question. So all these people that are turning on him supposedly, right? What happens mm-hmm. if like Saturday or Sunday he changes? What happens if he stays? Oh, he's the best then, ever. Then we're shocked. Yeah, we're shocked, and we love him. <laughs> best all of best a sudden, coach ever. Again, huh? <laughs> all, all is good, right? All is okay. forgiven, of course, of course. Um, yeah, like, but but to to kind of dovetail off of what you just said, Murph. You know, better to uh, you know uh, what is it? Be- don't be uh, don't be sad that it ended. Be happy that it happened. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's not much of a consolation to some folks, but but that's just uh, that's the approach that I'm taking with it. That you know, th- this season has been. Really something. Real quick, I've got two rapid-fire questions for both of you guys. Uh, number one, on a scale of one being he stays, ten being he's already on a plane to Lincoln, um, what, are, what, are the, what is your prediction for uh, Sunday morning? Is Scott Frost still the UCF, uh, UCF head coach, or is he on his way to Lincoln? One to ten. Uh, I'd say it's a nine because I don't think he's the head coach. I think he's the head coach till about one o'clock in the afternoon. Elo, so not not technically the morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would say there's. I I concur with that. I, okay. I've been very consistent on about this. I've told people I thought Nebraska was a was definitely a legitimate threat. Um, and you were right. And, and I, as you, yes, yes, I expect a lot of people to say, you're right, you know, because a lot of people were scoffing at me. Oh, he's not going to go there. That's not that good of a job in this, which I disagree with. Again, um, oh. I'm a believer that a coach can make a job really good. Like, I remember about a decade ago when Mike Shula was getting fired from Alabama, people were telling, were saying it's a bad job because of the shadow of Bear Bryant. I think Nick Saban's proven that that shadow is okay. You know, you can work around that. Yeah. Um, so, I think Scott. I think Scott Frost was destined for that job. I think he feels he was destined for that job. So I've always felt that way. Look, if I'm if if he turns out he stays at UCF, um, hey, weirder things have happened, right? So I I don't really uh, I I don't blame. Him, but I would say yeah, I, I think we're going to know something one way or the other by Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. That's one hell of a rapid fire answer there, Evo. What's not? It's a complicated <laughs> deal, man. A complicated deal. I mean, I, I, you know, it's a complicated deal because I do. I think he's very sincere. I think this is not an easy time for him. I don't think this is like, all right, I'm out of here, guys. See ya. I, I think there's some genuine. I think. Don't I, you? Let me ask you both this. I think 
in a weird way, I think if UCF were to win the conference title game, it makes it easier. Because if you lose that game, now it's like, oh, I didn't yeah. really finish this. I think in a way, that's why I think he's really trying to lock in and win this title game. Because whatever decision he makes, it's easier than if you lose that game right. and you're like, oh. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. I, I'll, I'll say this. Yeah. I do know for a fact, heading into this weekend in the championship game, that he really is emotionally torn, and he is a lot more emotionally torn than people think. Um, you know, it, I mean, the bottom line is this is a great place to be, and UCF has treated him well. And and I think back to the soundbite that he had after the USF game about how this place is unbelievable, this this team is unbelievable, the fans are unbelievable, the atmosphere is unbelievable, everything is unbelievable. And I thought to myself, well. We could read that one of two ways. Number one, he's just on an emotional high from the great, from the, the amazing game that we just had, um, and is and is and is speaking glowingly in terms about you know what this university is. Or number two, that's one hell of a sales job for whoever the next guy may be. Right? Mm-hmm. This place is un- this place is unbelievable, and you would be stupid not to come here because look at look at what we were able to do. So. Uh, my last rapid fire question for you. This is this one's going to get fun. Um, let us assume Scott Frost is leaving. Give me one name. Who do you want to be the next head coach? I have no idea. I have <laughs> absolutely. Why? 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 Why am I thinking that far ahead? Absolutely not. Because no, it's not all that. Because it seems like games. it's not that far ahead. I'll tell you that. Right, but I'll, I'll not play your games on like who can be the head coach. I will. I will let the people that are smarter than me figure that out. You, we've mentioned Kevin Sumlin. That is my camp answer. But I'm sure Eric has a better answer. Well, first of all, I have a feeling we're going to have a special edition of the Black and Gold. Oh, we might uh, have Vanderbilt an emergency podcast, podcast <laughs> next week or two. Uh, yeah, I have a feeling maybe around Sunday if we're our, if our if our predictions are correct. So we, I have a feeling we'll have much more time to break that down. But I, I I'll say this. I mean, I think Kevin Sumlin, obviously, what he's done, he's been successful at A and M in Houston. Uh, I think will be in, uh, obviously mentioned has been mentioned. I think you know, do you want to go internal? I think it depends on your philosophy. Do you believe a Chenander, for example, or Troy Walters, or they guys that you believe can take over this program? And run with it, right? Like, just run with it. Continue to kind of what you've been doing. There's not really that big of an adjustment. I think the players uh, would be for that. Um, you know, beyond that, I mean, you know, who, it depends. Do you go for a big name? Do you go for guys that are assistants? Um, I mean, I, there's some names I like, uh, whether the, you know, but I don't know if they necessarily go in that direction. I'll give you, you know, uh, maybe like a guy like Ryan Day, for example, who is a quarterback coach, a co offensive guy at Ohio State. Has ties to Chip Kelly and Urban Meyer. Is that a guy you try to get who's unproven? Or do you go after get a guy that's proven, like Kevin Sumlin? I think that's the decision that you have to make if you're Danny White. Um, and some would argue that maybe with this roster the way it is, you go for the proven guy. So that way you can maybe be back to be the favorites next year to go to the conference tournament. Kind of like what USF did. USF got Charlie Strong uh, to replace Willie Taggart to kind of let the you know keep the, the ship running. So it depends on your philosophy. Do you want to go get a proven guy or do you try to get a, an unproven guy? I think that's the, some of the decisions are going to have to be made if they have to make it. Okay, note to self, avoid rapid fire questions <laughs> with Eric Lopez. <laughs> I um at gunpoint You got some names? I I at gunpoint 
I would love to see Troy Walters be the next head coach. Now, a lot of those names are interesting, but I, but I, I, I'm, I'm in favor of you know through two years of this Oregon-ish system. Um, it's it's just so much fun. I don't want to let it go. And if I have to let Scott Frost go, um, then 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 bring me Troy Walters. And and let's and, you know because if he's if he's good enough, listen, if if Troy Walters is good enough to be considered for the Rice job, he's good enough to be considered for our job. So um, that's where we'll leave it at that. All right, we're going to take a break here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. Coming up next, we're actually going to talk some football. Uh, we'll recap the war on I-4 that was, and it was a war, man. Holy smokes, what a game. Um, we'll remember where we were for that as long as we live. And then we will preview the American Athletic Conference championship game between UCF and Memphis. Don't go away. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Sam Unger Real Estate Team. Sam and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Powered by EXP Realty. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and fans, he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. The real estate market here in Central Florida has been on the move for some time now, so if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, Sam's got you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give Sam a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit him on the web at samsellsorlando.net. Again, that's samsellsorlando.net. You can also reach Sam on Facebook at facebook.com slash samsellsorlando. Get in touch with the Sam Unger real estate team today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here uh, on this championship week uh, edition of the show. And uh, reminder, we can uh, subscribe to this podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, and uh, as well as on Facebook, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And, of course, at blackandgoldbanneret.com, where we have all kinds of fun stuff up there for you, including our live blog of what was, I think, let's just say it. This was the greatest football game in the history of UCF football, the entire program. 
this war on I-4 between UCF and USF, it just, I know it's almost a week over, a week past us now, but it just, it just bears us mentioning, just putting a bow on this thing um, and, and reliving what was a truly memorable Black Friday afternoon and evening in Orlando. 49-42, the final, of course. You guys know the drill. UCF goes to 11-0, 8-0 in the conference. Uh, we jumped out in front 21-7 after one. USF then scores, outscores UCF 27-7 in the middle two quarters before the Knights uh, rip off another three touchdowns in the fourth. Uh, both teams combine for three touchdowns in a 53-second span late in the fourth, capped off by Mike Hughes' 95-yard kickoff return. Monstrous television ratings for this game. This this felt like uh, I, it, it was one of those games where... Um, you know, as the evening went on, it was Black Friday. Everyone got back from shopping, sat down with some leftovers from Thanksgiving Day, and turned on the game. It was like, wow, this game is pretty wild. And then people started calling one another and texting one another saying, hey, you got to turn on this crazy UCF-USF game to see what's going on. Um, there was some massive reach from this game. Uh, celebrities were tweeting about it. I mean, my God, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was saying this: every game should be like this. Um, some of the individual highlights, Quentin Flowers accounted for, what, what, did I even read this right? 605 yards of total offense by himself, and USF still loses the game. Uh, he threw for 503, four touchdowns and an interception. Mackenzie Milton um, at times seemed pedestrian by his standards, still went 29 of 44 for 373 Four scores and a pick. Um, Adrian Killens was the leading rusher for UCF with 82 net yards. Uh, Flowers ran for 102. He was the leading rusher. Um, but uh, Dredrick Snelson with two touchdown catches, including a big one late. Tyree McCants had 201 yards receiving in the first half, but finished with 227. The Knights defense clamped down on him. Uh, and uh, for UCF defensively, Shaquem Griffin... Uh, showed up big, had uh, nine total tackles, uh, a half of a sack, uh, and uh, also had the, I think he had the game-winning fumble recovery. Uh, no, excuse me, that's not, that wasn't him, it was Shaquan Burkett who had the fumble recovery in the final minute uh, that sealed the deal. But guys, I'm, I'm putting it out there for you. Greatest game in UCF history. Tell me why, uh, tell me, it, it, what, do you, what else you got? What are you coming in with? I, I agree just because you I guess you know the, the thing that pops to mind is well they they did win that Fiesta Bowl but the Fiesta Bowl opponent was Baylor it wasn't your in-state arch rival that game you know we kind of went there as a, as a massive underdog sort of just sort of happy to be there as where as you know as opposed to the USF game where not only did you know it would it, you were favored to win it you had to win it in order to get your goals for what this team had already accomplished like if you didn't win this game uh, is this team going to Birmingham for a bowl game? So it was that important. It was the it was the other team on the other sideline that made it important, and the fan atmosphere made it important. A night game on national television with the night lights or the starry night thing that the kids do with uh, with their with the uh, their flashlights on their phones. Love that. Uh, the atmosphere the, atm- the atmosphere was fantastic. The play the 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 and the, and the game was not sloppy. There were there were some blown coverages. 
that, that UCF kind of attributed to the fact of just miscommunication and the fact that they were tired. They had two fewer days to, to prepare and rest for this game, which Frost said uh, was was not shy in saying that he thought that was unfair. Um, but but this game was a he well still feels played. that way. Yeah, of course. <laughs> this is a this was a well played, exciting game between arch rivals who are fighting for not only a division championship, a shot to both of them fighting for a shot to win a conference championship and making to a power six bowl in a sold out stadium. It was tremendous. And then of course, you know, the last five minutes is are almost indescribable, which is kind of stupid because that's sort of like, like, you know, our job is to tell you what happened. I, I can't really, I don't feel like I'm doing it justice by telling you what happened in the last five minutes. Cause it's just nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah. I mean, it started uh, with Snelson, on that 45-yard pass from Milton that put UCF up 35-34. Uh, Otis Anderson on that beautiful call, that screen pass that capped off that drive. How about those drives at the end of the game that uh, Mackenzie Milton put together to put UCF up? And then after that 83-yard touchdown pass from uh, Flowers to Darnell Salomon, um, boom, Mike Hughes. Boy, has he been something this year um, with, the, w- with the play of the night. Uh, go ahead, Eric. What, uh, your impressions from this crazy game? I've been going to UCF football games on and off since 1998. That was my first game I ever went to. Uh, I visited a friend who was going to school at UCF, Dante Culpepper. You got to go see this kid. He was a senior. Faced a Jim Trestle-led Youngstown State team. So I've been going to UCF games since. I've seen Drew Brees, etc. I've been going to basketball games since like 2000, 2001. Same with baseball. The other sports more towards since like 07, let's say. There's not been a better UCF sporting event that I've ever been in. I've seen. I've been at in person than that one. I mean, that thing had it all: it had drama, had suspense, unpredictability, environment, uh, emotion, intensity. Uh, it's a game, and you know, it's a great game. When, for example, I I watched it today, and I still have fun. Why it was still exciting to watch, and I think this is one of those games you can go back and watch anytime you want for the next for the rest of your life. You'll be like, wow, I remember that game. Yeah. Uh, um. It was remarkable. I give credit to Quinton Flowers, who I think, and people won't like to hear this, I don't think any player has ever performed better in that stadium than Quinton Flowers did that day. Well, that's statistically true because he actually set the opponent record for uh, most total yards by a player. He actually broke a record set by that was previously held by Tim Rattay when he was at Louisiana Tech. Uh, for most total yards by an opponent against UCF. I and, believe that was Eric, yeah. Eric we, we were sitting next to Colin Sherwin in the yeah. press box, who was on the podcast here last week, and Colin said in the press box, this is the greatest single performance he has seen by a USF football player ever. And it's true. Rightful, rightfully so. And it's he one of the know. best I've seen. I, well, yeah. I mean, he was tremendous. People said he couldn't throw. Oh, just shut down the run. He, he lit up UCF secondary. Uh, it was like a Michael Vick type of game. I mean, once he took over that game, it was like, oh my God, they can't stop him. And, uh, remarkable. I mean, Kevin Smith had some monster games where he ran over 300 yards. That would be the argument, I guess, going back to the 07 title game against Tulsa in the USA. But man, that was, he was remarkable. Um, and that sequence, Murph, we, I think we, we were all downstairs down on the field. Where you see, you know, Otis Anderson gets the touchdown. You're like, oh, they've got this done, 42-34. Then Flowers drills the long pass. They get the two-pointer. It was just, and then UCF gets the kick return for Hughes. 
and everybody's excited. And then I realize, oh wait, Flowers still gets the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's driving and he's driving. I and mean, if it wasn't for that fumble, I think he was going to come in and score. And who knows? So amazing game. And you're right, Jeff. You mentioned national audience on ABC. Adam Amin, who I is a friend, but he's a phenomenal broadcaster. I thought the crew did an amazing job of that game. 4.6 million viewers for that game. Uh, it won its time slot. It's the third highest rated game on ABC. And in that slot on Thanksgiving, Black Friday, since 2002, it's a monster number. It's a major success. And I think for the rivalry, it was significant because I think that game has a chance to be like what Miami and Florida State in 1987 was. Miami and Florida State had a rivalry going, but it didn't really take off from a national standpoint until that 87 game. Where yeah, that was the one with the long Michael Irvin pass, right? Correct, yes. Where both teams were top five. It was in October. It was on a CBS 330. It was really like, oh, people are paying attention to this Miami FSU game, and Miami made that long comeback. Florida State goes for two. It gets knocked down. It's one of the great – I mean, so many NFL players played in that game. I thought that was the arrival of the Miami-Florida State game nationally. And I think this game, what it does now, because so many people enjoyed watching this game, that I think people now, the casual fan, you know what, I'm going to go watch the UCF-USF game when it's on. Because you know what, it's a pretty exciting game. You know, I've been a proponent of moving this game away from Black Friday, but I think I'm going to tell you that. Those television numbers are going to keep it on Black Friday mm -hmm. uh, because it was a major success. I just updated it on my blog. All right, I'll give the audience some perspective. It's the third most watched UCF game nationally all time. Uh, the Fiesta Bowl is number one at 11.3 million viewers watched the Fiesta Bowl. The Liberty Bowl against Georgia, Jeff. Did you cover that or were you? where were you for that? I, 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 was not, were... I was not there for that, unfortunately. I was back in Orlando for that. That's right. That did 4.7 million yep. when UCF beat Georgia. That was New, that was New Year's evening. Uh, New Year's Eve yep. evening. Yep. That one did a 4.7 million on ESPN. This game did 4.6 million, which is more than the Mississippi State UCF Liberty Bowl in 07 that did 3.9 million. Wow, uh, so this, is the, this is the most watched non-UCF bowl game yes. ever. Correct. As of this moment, yes, it is, and I think it will be, yeah. It, it, it surpassed the South Carolina UCF game from a national standpoint. Uh, UCF South Carolina did 3.2 million in 2013 now locally the game did an 11.1 it is just still shy of the south carolina game which did an 11.5 rating that's talking about central florida only um but it was the orlando number was still the number one rated uh market for that game the it Fiesta be noted, Bowl, that market by the way that's orlando daytona beach and melbourne which i think is it's ranked in the yes that's in the Correct. now that's in the teens which you rank up all the TV yes. markets in the United States. Um, I forget exactly where it is. I'll get that for you in a second. But that's 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 a that's a lot of people in a big market. It's big. It's it's probably around two hundred forty thousand. It's hard to determine because, as you, Jeff, you have talked about this before on this on the podcast. Less people now probably have cable or have TVs. They a lot more people watch games on stream. So while the, the you know you're like wait a minute how can there be more people that watch the South Carolina game have a higher rating well there were probably more people that had TV options than they did you know yeah. Black Friday this Friday uh, the Fiesta Bowl by the way still the most watched UCF game locally that did a 17.4 when they beat Baylor and and that's gonna be a hard number to top because 
if you remember, that was prime time on New Year's night, New Year's Day night uh, mm-hmm. on ESPN. So I know some people have asked me, do you think that if UCF were to get to the Peach Bowl, would that break the record, uh, that rating? And I will say no, because the Peach Bowl is going to be a 12.30 p.m. kickoff compared to a prime time uh, start kickoff time. And, and it, it, you know, more, let's be honest, I mean, more people are at home. But might at depend night on the opponent, though, do you think? Sure. No, that's fair. I mean, that's fair. Like if they're playing Alabama, for example, that oh, yeah. that obviously could, you know, could change, you know, that's must tune TV. Whereas if they're playing, I don't know, or if they're playing a Georgia team that just lost in an SEC title game or an Auburn team that just lost in an SEC title game, maybe uh, people may not tune in in, in frequent numbers and, and people may just go to bars. But it's going to do a big number. Let's not kid. But uh, significant number, significant success, huge for both programs. Huge for the conference. Uh, it was a major success. They were put on a big spot, and they won that spot. They beat the Missouri-Arkansas game comfortably in viewership. They crushed Nebraska and Iowa. They beat. They were the most watched. Them in the Miami-Pittsburgh game were the two most watched games uh, that day, and both of those games were, like I believe, the top five most watched games of the weekend. Uh, obviously, Auburn, Alabama, and Ohio State, Michigan blew everybody away, but that's a success. That's a success for yeah. everybody, and I think it, 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 it's, it, it bodes well for the future of that rivalry that I think more people will tune in, and I do think now that that game will definitely stay on Black Friday because it's a good TV slot, and if it doesn't, it probably means they'll get a really good TV slot uh, prime time or something like that down the road. A couple notes uh, that I wanted to pass along. The other number that I think that was really important for this game was 47,129. That was the attendance of the game. It was the third... Uh, third highest uh, attendance number in the history of Spectrum Stadium, fifth highest in school history, and it was the largest number of people uh, ever to see a UCF victory in a stadium. All those other games, UCF lost. Uh, including- well, let's think about that one. What, 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 I'm trying to think. What are, what Do they have the list? Yes. Um, right. The n- number one... It was the uh, was the conference championship game against Tulsa in two thousand and five. Yep. Loss. I was there in the Citrus was Bowl. There at the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. Number two was the fill the bowl game against Virginia Tech in was it two thousand oh. or two thousand? Yep. There two thousand. It was two thousand. Okay. It was Michael Vick. Vick they was hurt Vick. that game. I think too. He didn't he play. He, he did not play because he got hurt the week before at Miami. They right. lost to Miami in a big showdown, and I remember people were like, oh, no Michael Vick. Of course, then Lee Suggs ran it all over us, right. but I was there. I still have a t-shirt of that game, actually. But yeah, I was there. Number three, 2009 against Miami. Was there? Yeah, night game. I was Miami there for that won. one, too. I was actually working that day. That was It, <clears throat> it, it kind of snuck up on everybody about how big the crowd was. Um, <clears throat> a lot of Miami folks in the building. That's yeah. the largest crowd in the history of Spectrum Stadium. Uh, okay. Number four, South Carolina. Yeah, we were there for that. That was a noon kick, too. Yep. And this one was number five. That's amazing. Um, that's that's a pretty good list. Glad we won one, finally. <laughs> I know. Largest largest crowd to see a UCF win. There it is. Uh, it's 47-129. So. so basically what you're saying, guys, is that if UCF is going to win, the fans should show up, but not too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, well. well we're hoping that, the, well, remember, that does officially qualify as a sellout because that's larger than the actual seating capacity of the stadium. So it's above 100% uh, capacity. So UCF at 11-0. and 0, Dovetail that nicely into one more game, and that is the American Athletic Conference Championship, 
which will be this Saturday at noon, again, on ABC, back-to-back UCF games uh, on, the, uh, on the national TV network, on free television, as we like to say. <clears throat> and it's a rematch with the uh, Memphis Tigers. Memphis comes in with only one loss. That game that they lost was to UCF back on September 30th on that Saturday. Remember, that game got moved because of the storm. Uh, UCF uh, uh, outpaced Memphis 40-13 to 13 in that game. Um, but this is still a very, very good uh, Memphis team. Um, Riley Ferguson, we, we know how good they were. And it was really impressive that UCF, from the outset, um, took care of business in that first game. The Tigers come in ranked number uh, 14 in the uh, – is it 14 in the coaches' poll? I think it's 14 in the coaches' 14 poll. Co- yeah, 14 coaches, 16 yeah. Associated Press. UCF comes in 11 coaches, 12 AP. Uh, we'll get to the we'll get to the uh, rankings flap here in just a little bit, uh, but interesting that UCF is a seven point favorite in this game, mm-hmm. and down from seven and a half. That tells me that Vegas is kind of factoring in the Scott Frost situation because remember, UCF jumped all over Memphis um, in the second quarter of their first matchup. Knights actually trailed after the first quarter. Seven to six, uh, and then scored seventeen in the second, uh, and then it was pretty much all she wrote uh, from there. One of the um, some of the numbers there. Uh, Riley Ferguson was twenty-seven to forty-nine for three twenty-one, one touchdown and three picks, and was sacked twice. Meanwhile, Mackenzie Milton was nineteen to thirty-one for two fifty-three, three touchdowns and an interception. Uh, Adrian Killens. Had 115 yards on the ground, 96 of them on one play, a UCF record for a touchdown run. Um, Taj McGowan, who was hurt, also who was hurt later, or, or well, currently hurt, but um, or uh, uh, well, no, excuse me, he wasn't currently hurt. Um, Taj has uh, Taj had the other touchdown. Um, Traquan Smith had two touchdowns on three catches, and uh, and that was the drill for that game. But is this a um, Brian, I'll start with you. Is this a different Memphis team than the one we saw back in September? Uh, yeah, it is. I, I think what's most different is, you know, everybody looks at their offense, right? And their offense is fantastic. UCF is the only team to hold them below 30, and they held them to 13. And no one else has held them below 30. They put on 70 on, on ECU, and the offense stands out. But really, what has changed is the defense from that game in September. They were missing a lot of starters back then, a lot of uh, key cogs early in the year due to injuries. Those guys are back now. Uh, you know, back when they played UCF, you know, uh, Mike Norvell and his crew were really kind of scrambling to figure out what they, who they wanted on the field to stop McKenzie Milton and company. Well, they got healthy, and uh, so I think this is a tougher defense than what UCF, what UCF saw um, back in September. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting. I, I agree with the spread. Uh, it is a little weird because that also means that they're a favorite by seven. That means that UCF would be basically a pick em, one point favorite if the game was at Memphis. What's more entertaining is that the spread is north, the, not the spread, the over under is north of 80. It's 82 right now. It was 85 oh and a half. And now it's 82. So it's going to be fun. 49 42 last week may have just been the appetizer. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I will say this, too, because some people have asked me about this. 
I don't think the distractions will play any role in this game on Saturday because both teams are going through it. Mike Norvell is a name that has been thrown out there for Arkansas. Right. Among other jobs. I mean, I'm surprised he hasn't been thrown into the Tennessee debacle yet. Uh, maybe he will at some point after the game. So both teams are going through it. So I'm not, I don't want to hear that as an excuse. Um, I, think I always Memphis thought distractions was the, the whole concept of distractions is just a media concocted excuse. There's no, no one on this planet off. is better at compartmentalizing things than athletes and coaches. Well, and I've tried to explain that to fans and maybe you and I, Jeff, we've been around athletes and uh, I broadcast. I mean, the athletes do have a way. I mean, people don't get remember this. These people are used to performing in front of thousands of people. They have to block them out. So they know how to block stuff out. Um, parents are the ones that are more affected by this stuff. And that goes back to, you know, some people are wondering, well, geez, like should Scott Frost tell the players or this? The problem is if he tells them, let's say the plea in a private meeting, he says, guys, I'm leaving. Well, guess what's going to happen? Players are going to tell their parents and parents are going to tell people and then it gets out anyway. So you really sometimes can't tell the players what's really going on because then they're going to tell their kids, what's uh, their parents, what's going on or their friends or what's going on. And then it comes out. So, um, it's kind of a no-win situation there, but I don't believe that the, the players do not get. You know, I don't think a play, McKenzie Milton's thinking as he's dropping back to throw. He's thinking, man, I hope I don't know if my coach is going to be here. <laughs> it's yeah. nonsense. All right, I mean they're going to play, and the better team's going to win. And look, Memphis, like Murph said, they're a much better team now. I think Ferguson and those guys are much more comfortable defensively. They're they're much. They now have a better idea of what they're doing. I still think UCF's the better. Uh, a better team because I think they have the better defense than Memphis. I still question Memphis's defense, but look, I mean, it could come down to red zone defense and I would be surprised if this game was not much better than the first meeting. Plus Memphis has the advantage. I mean, they got blown out in that game. They got embarrassed in that game. Uh, a lot of things went against them. They're the ones that get to adjust and I think they'll be ready to play. I do think uh, there will be a let, there is a letdown factor with such an emotional game against USF, I don't know if the fans will be as jacked up in this game at a noon kickoff than they were for that USF game, guys. Mm. Uh, maybe they'll get going towards the second half, but I, I would, I can't imagine the environment being the same that it was for Black Friday. Am I wrong on that? Uh, I, it's a concern on my part. I'll tell you that. I, you know, the, I did notice though that the ticket prices were cheaper for this game than they were for sure. the regular season games. So I think that. You know, UCF and the American have been going all in on trying to get, uh, uh, trying to get people to fill the stands. Um, I, I do know that, that it, I, talking to some folks who I've been, you know, who I've been tight with, who who you know have been, who are fans and are around the program, they they're getting the sense that like the word got out after USF that okay, this championship game is big. We got to show up for this one, and people are starting to jump on the bandwagon even a little bit more than they were um, before. I'm concerned about when I look at the stuff in between the lines, you know, uh, in the game notes, there's this little section that, uh, Andy Seely and the guys put together called tail of the tape. And they show the statistics, the team statistics for both squads, basically right next to each other. And if you look at the offensive numbers between both of these teams and you look at the defensive numbers, they are nearly identical. It's almost frightening. Um, UCF is averaging, 48.3 points a game. Memphis is averaging 47. UCF has 275 first downs this year. Memphis is 278. The Knights have 100, are averaging 198 yards a game on the ground. Memphis is averaging 202. UCF's got 325 yards passing per game. Memphis is averaging 347. 
UCF is giving up 155 yards a game on the ground. Memphis is giving up 193. That's where I think that UCF may have an advantage is, is, is the weakness of Memphis's run defense. Um, and so that's going to be big, I think, in the first half in particular, if they can get guys like Killens going. Um, but, yeah, uh, boy, th- we're going to see. It's just going to be a long day if you're on defense for either of these squads, basically. What, what, is, it, is this what we're going to see? Is it just going to be a track meet? Everyone scores on every possession, and, and, whatever, and it, whoever has the ball last is going to win this, Brian? Well, I hope not, because that is kind of boring in a sense that, like, <laughs> what? there's got to be – it is. Like, you don't want to see a touchdown on every drive. You don't want to see a touchdown on every drive. I'm sorry, you don't. You'd like to see a – you'd like to see, I'm sorry, <laughs> some semblance of possibly maybe a little bit of perhaps some defense. That's what I would like to see. And So, so what you're and, saying and, is, Murph, you don't want this to turn into a Big 12 game. <laughs> I don't want this to be I – do, I do not want this to be Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. I do okay. not – but I mean, the Big uh, Twelve will be watching this one. Who knows, right? They might. They might be. Uh, I think. I think one thing to watch if you just want to watch uh, matchups. Uh, you know, Memphis has got a fantastic receiver in Anthony Miller that most people outside of Memphis probably don't know about. If you if you follow American college football, you do know about Anthony Miller. Oh yeah. Um, but if, if you don't, uh, he's fantastic. He he's already broken Isaac Bruce's record for uh, receiving yards in Memphis history. So. When he played UCF back in September, UCF held him to a three yards or three, excuse me, three catches on 37 yards. Since that game, he's played seven games. He's averaging 131 yards a game and has scored 11 times. <laughs> I want, I want to see either Mike Hughes or Navell Clark on Anthony Miller. Like, I just want to see how that goes. I want to see those matchups. I really like Navell Clark. You, you know, he, he came back from the suspension at the middle of the year, and I just, I just. I think he's got the makings of a true shutdown corner. And I don't know what else you can say about Mike Hughes, the guy who has been not only a first-team cornerback uh, for UCF uh, with the conference awards today, he's a first-team defensive player, but also a second-team uh, special teams player. He's, he's, it's amazing what he can do for a guy who just joined the team in August. Um, so I just want to see those two guys on Anthony Miller and see how what they can do to confuse Riley Ferguson. I think that matchup's going to really be just entertaining to watch. Yeah. It, it, by the way, we should pass along big time congrats to UCF. This, this is unprecedented in the history of the program. Uh, an American Athletic Conference record 16 all-conference honorees. Mackenzie Milton was the Offensive Player of the Year, named this year in the conference. Scott Frost was named Coach of the Year, obviously. Uh, Shocker. Yeah, stun, stunner right there, right? Um I'm counting up here. First team all conference. You have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine UCF Knights. First team all conference. Aaron Evans, Jordan Johnson on the offensive line. Jordan Akins at tight end. Milton at quarterback. Adrian Killens at running back. Jamias Pittman is d- defensive lineman. Shaquem Griffin, senior linebacker. Mike Hughes, like you mentioned, Brian. And Kyle Gibson is the defensive backs. And then you had another seven more on the second team. Uh, and and that's and that second team includes Mike Hughes again. Yeah, and and <laughs> this this is this is mind blowing. Traquan Smith is a second team All Conference performer. Yeah, uh, I know as a wide receiver. Um, why? But there are some uh, there are some crazy good receivers in this conference. That's we we true. can understand that. Yeah, but still, I I thought he would have been a shoe in first uh, first teamer. Uh, Wyatt Miller, offensive lineman. Tristan Hill uh, on on the D line. Chaquan Burkett. 
uh, the linebacker, and both both of the kicking specialists, uh, Matthew Wright and Mac Loudermilk, uh, made second team. Mike Hughes, like you mentioned, the second team returner. He he got named to the team twice, which is which which almost seems like it should be illegal. Um, the uh, it, it, it's I mean th- that just tells you what kind of a team UCF's got. All, now all these accolades coming in. Let me ask you guys this as we finish up the preview of this game. If UCF loses this game, mm. is the season a failure? No. No, 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 no. Because I'm getting some vibe from people, you know, out there saying, you know, man, if we lose this game, uh, you know, I don't know what's gonna happen. And, and there are some people I think are getting a little overconfident because Memphis is because Memphis sure. got blown out by us in the first game. Do not sleep on this team. This is a good Memphis Tiger football team. If it wasn't for us, they'd be the talk of the group of five. Yeah. If it wasn't for Mackenzie Milton, Riley Ferguson would be the offensive player of the year. That's true. Uh, Mike Mike Hughes is second team kick returner. You know who the first teamer is? It's Tony Pollard from Memphis. Yeah. Uh, this team is loaded with with really good explosive star talent. Uh, it's always gonna be a fun game. Uh, people say that if UCF loses this game, the season is. I mean, if they use the word failure, they're out of their gourd. They are completely lost with reality. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you got to a championship game that, quite frankly, nobody thought they could get to before the year. If they would have lost the USF game, then yeah, I think that would have stung because of who you lost to and the opponent and everything. But you beat the you beat USF. You prevented them from getting to the championship game. You prevented them from the. Uh, getting their biggest win in program history, getting to the biggest bowl game in their program history. This season, uh, you've got some good wins. If you lose this game, it's a good year. Uh, it's still a very good year. Obviously, uh, you know maybe not the ending you were hoping for, but it's still a very good year, considering where we thought this team was in August when some people were wondering if they would even be bowl eligible. Yeah, I, it's that's true. I, I tell you what, though, to have this game on your home field, I'm, you know, you you guys know me. I'm 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 you know constantly worried. Oh, what a shot! Oh yeah, excuse my me. God! I mean, oh, Jesus! Yeah, you got this game on your home field. They had national television. You got the New Year's Six Bowl game just sitting there waiting for the taking. And you know this is a Memphis team that's going to come in pretty pissed about well, the last time they played well, us. Well, let me ask you this. Hold on, Murph. Okay. Murph. Before yeah. this year, Murph, what was the last UCF football season that uh, you were at? Uh, the last one I was at full time was 2008. Oh, oh boy, I'm oh, sorry about that. I spent a lot of time. I spent I spent a lot of time in California, guys. I watched from afar. That was, well, that was that was the four reason, and eight yeah, year, right? Is that is, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, that was four eight, Michael Greco. For some reason, I thought you went you ended on a high note, but uh, I guess I, not. Well, I, I went and I went to the Fiesta Bowl because it was an easy drive from Los Angeles to to, <laughs> to Glendale. True. But here's what I'm saying. My since Brian Murphy has returned to covering UCF football, UCF has not lost a game. That, there you I, go. I, you know, right? that's take all I'm note. Saying. Take note, Coach Frost. That's, I, right. We're not, that's right, and we're not gonna. I don't. I'm not buying Lars Anderson's report that you're going to be named Nightline's new correspondent <laughs> uh, at four o'clock on Saturday <laughs> during the game. I don't believe that for a second because you know better than Nightline. Is two and nine against us in fantasy leagues this year. And I don't think <laughs> one point that debacle. I, I don't oh, even yes, think. I, love, I don't think I it merits much further mentioning than that. <laughs> but no, I, I look. It, it's. I, I will say it's a big game. A couple quick notes. Uh, the American Championship game on ABC. Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, uh, and Todd McShay calling the game. Okay. 
The last two years, the game's been on ABC. It's averaged 2 million viewers. Last year's game did 2 million viewers. The year before, when it was Houston and Temple, did 2.4 million. It will go up against the Big 12 title game in Oklahoma and TCU. So don't expect the numbers to be as big compared to the USF game because with stiffer right. competition. But So keep mm -hmm. that in mind as you watch that game uh, completely. So uh, I still think UCF wins. I still think UCF wins. I think they win it. I think it's a, it's a closer game, obviously, but I think they win it. And I think all parties will, uh, I hope, will be happy. And I think regardless of what happens after that, I think people should uh, give Scott Frost an ovation uh, and a thank you as if he does decide to leave. 20 years ago, boys, 20 years ago, UCF played at Nebraska. UCF scare, well, led by Scott Frost, put a scare into Nebraska, led it to half, fell short. The Nebraska fans gave the program a standing ovation as they were walking up. I've had people that were at the game tell me that story. I, I think it's only fair that we return the favor. I hope that's the case. I think that would mean a win because obviously a loss makes things a little bit more awkward. But uh, if it happens, and who knows, maybe if he wins, he changes his mind and or doesn't change his mind and says, yeah, I'm just coming back. So, hey. It, it, <laughs> if, they, if they win, do they carry Scott Frost? Do the players carry Scott Frost off the field? I, you know, I was just going to say that. I hope they do. I hope they do. I, 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 first of all, I've never seen. I don't think they ever carried O'Leary off the field, did they? No, well, he's kind I, of a I, tough guy to carry off the oh, field. Please, oh, please! Oh, come on! Ouch. If they, no, if they ouch. listen, if they, if the Giants can carry Parcells off the field, somebody <laughs> could carry George O'Leary off the field. The but pa the pack, the Packers carried Vince Lombardi off the field. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, no. I, I actually, you know what, Jeff? I know you brought that up early in the week. Like, did they ever carry George O'Leary off the field? I like literally spent like an hour like looking for like Google images of like Jojo Leary like carried off. It would have been football. it would have been after this after the Fiesta Bowl and they didn't do it. They did not do it. Now I don't not. know if George told them, "Listen, don't carry me off." The Some guys do that. Some guys are like, "Don't carry me off the field. I don't want to be carried off the field." Yeah. But um, but you know, if it was ever going to happen, that would have been it, and they didn't carry him off the field. What? Well, by the way, one quick note: um, UCF all time. In uh, conference championship games, uh, is uh, two and one, two and two, three and two. So, um, oh wait, no, I'm wrong about that. Um, <laughs> what? Sorry, <laughs> I botched that completely. It's getting uh, late here, folks. I know it's late. I'm I'm sleep deprived. Oh, I know. Uh, I know one record. They have never lost a conference championship game that Brian Murphy's been at. It's true. That's think that's true as well, guys. If we learned anything, it's that I am the oracle. I I, I make everything well. Uh, can we just carry just, Brian off? Can we just have Brian get carried off? I mean, I think that should be implied here. Well, people, you can do that after the game. A few hours after the game, plenty of people will be carrying me somewhere. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it is uh, it is the night's first uh, conference championship game since. They were in Conference USA, by the way. So, um, so and uh, and by the way, it was the Knights have been to have four e had four Eastern Division championships in Conference USA, two Conference USA championships. So this will be the fifth uh, Conference Championship game for the Knights in school history. Right, they are right. They're two, two, two right? And they lost two. in 05, right. one in 07, one in twenty ten, right. and then lost that weird one at twenty twelve at Tulsa. Oh, that 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 twenty twelve one drives me ballistic to this day but anyway all right so again uh noon abc uh ucf against memphis if you can't be at the stadium 
Make sure you watch on TV. Get UCF a good number. Uh, real quick, before we go, just want to bounce around to some other sports news here before as we finish out. Uh, volleyball. Earlier tonight, uh, UCF volleyball season came to an end uh, in, uh, in Athens, Georgia. The Knights uh, actually uh, swept USF twice to finish the regular season. So the Knights uh, won six matches in a row. And uh, eight of their last nine uh, to finish out the regular season, uh, and uh, went and were, got an invitation, real quick turnaround invitation to the National Invitational Volleyball Championship, kind of the NIT of um, <clears throat> excuse me of of volleyball, and uh, got sent up to a pod as they call it in Athens, Georgia, uh, defeated UNC Greensboro in three. Um, on uh, Tuesday, that was yesterday for when we were recording this, uh, and and faced Georgia earlier tonight, um, but got the loss uh, three uh, in a sweep, three to nothing. Um, in her final match as UCF Knight, Kia Bright had eight kills, uh, and uh, Taylor Wickey, by the way, also in her final match for UCF, six blocks. Miranda Watkins had 12 assists and an ace in her final match. Uh, at UCF, so um, you know we'll wish those players well as they as they finished up on Senior Day uh, last Wednesday. But uh, congratulations to them on a job well. and another twenty win season for Todd Dagenet. He finishes uh, this team finishes a twenty and fourteen on the year. And uh, let me see if I can pull up pull up their total schedule. Yeah, twenty and fourteen on the year, and twelve and eight in conference in a very tough conference. Once again, it's only getting tougher with the addition of. Um, of Wichita State. And real quick, I wanted to hit hoops. Um, women's basketball is 4-3 right now. Uh, they are coming off of uh, <clears throat> at the Thanks- UCF Thanksgiving Classic, a pair of wins uh, over IUPUI and uh, Northern Iowa. Their next game is uh, Thursday, which is actually tomorrow night from when we're recording this. They're at Samford. By the way, old conference opponent Samford, back in the old A-Sundays. Um that game's at 7 o'clock in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. You can watch that. There's a link on UCFKnights.com. Uh, and real quick, guys, I want to go through uh, men's basketball. They are 4-2. and two, um, And, uh, oh, hey, by the way, yeah, the, UCF did get a victory over Nebraska in the uh, Advocare <laughs> Invitational uh, down at Disney. That was in their opener, 68-59. to 59. But after that, the Knights um, uh, dropped their last two games against number 20 West Virginia by a score of 83 83-45. Um pretty sure every I'm pretty sure they were pretty they were happy that that happened right across from the USF football game because nobody watched it. Um Taco Fall had 11 points in that game by the way. And then uh St again against St. John's tough loss for UCF in this one 46 to 43. Um Chad Brown had 12 points to lead UCF. On that one, uh, last or excuse me, the next game for UCF again Thursday at home against Mizzou, but Mizzou will be without uh, that prospect, Eric. Yeah, Michael Porter. Yeah, Michael Porter's out, out for, the, for year. the year. What a bummer that is. Yeah, back surgery. So his uh, Missouri career, more than likely, because he'll probably turn pro, will be of uh, two minutes uh, in his wow. career. So. Talk about talk about one and done. <laughs> but you know what? They're still very good. I watched them, and uh, they were at Disney. At the Advocare, and uh, they gave West. They got to the final, had a lead on West Virginia. They coughed it up. Kind of a weird schedule because they played there on Sunday. Now they're coming back for a Thursday game against the Hoops team. 
Uh, you know, I watched the men's team against Nebraska up close. I watched them up close against St. John's on Sunday when they struggled offensively. And, you know, Coach Dawkins have said it's a work in progress. They clearly missed BJ. They've had to adjust this team multiple times because you had Aubrey Dawkins who went hurt. So, uh, tough times. I think they're going to have to win on defense because their offense is going to be up and down. It's very young and they're just going to have to kind of get by, I think, until BJ gets back. Yeah. And uh, yeah. at least we found something in Cesar De Jesus. I think he's been playing very well for UCF, by the way, coming on through. He was six of 10 from the field for 15 points in that uh, in that game. So at least he's carrying some of the load, right, Brian? Yeah. And, and like Eric said, he's kind of one of the only guys right now who's doing Anything positive shooting, I mean, when you shoot 8% from three over two games, that's not optimal. Uh, and when you turn it over 47 times in those two games as well, again, you're not going to win a lot of games. Uh, we talk, I talked to uh, Coach Dawkins today. You know, the, the shooting part isn't as concerning. It's just more about, you know, you know maybe it's just a little bit of a rut, but the turnovers are really frustrating to them. Even Chad Brown talked about, like, you know, it's, it's maturity. I think A.J. Davis – said it's it's maturity we got to be more mature about it and um you know that's what's really frustrating them right now more than the shooting woes so we'll see that tomorrow night i will be there uh the game is on the game's at nine o'clock on espn2 yeah and if you looked at this like in like a few weeks ago be like you know what not an awful game you got a an nit final four team with bj taylor and taco fall going against michael porter jr the number one pick in the upcoming draft in the nba and wow, does that thing look different now? There's no Michael Porter Jr., there's no BJ Taylor, there's no Aubrey Dawkins. Taco Fall sort of working his way back into the rotation. So I don't know what we're going to see tomorrow. Well, ESPN two. What would be nice to see is a victory on national television <laughs> at the, on, on the in the home stadium. So uh, that'll be at CFE Arena again. ESPN two nine o'clock on Thursday. The Knights then travel out to Tuscaloosa to face Alabama on uh, Sunday, December the. 3rd. Third, before they have a, almost a week off before they play their next home game uh, against Southern. All right, boys, let's wrap this thing up here uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast as we finish up uh, heading into championship week for football. Um, Brian, we'll start with you. What do you have on tap for us this week? Uh, so I just published a story today about how UCF's college football playoff ranking doesn't matter. It's kind of parroting what What do you Eric mean it doesn't matter? Like, Aren't we being disrespected matter, by moving up only one spot? And, and and look, I, I owe it all to Eric Lopez, who bust that door wide open three weeks ago here, and I fully agree with it then. And as the and as the the banter and and the and the and the vitriol has picked up with with, with each Tuesday night, I need people to understand it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Okay, so that's on the site right now. You can read it. It's a great read. I I I think what I wrote is great. Anyway, uh, I also. <laughs> Well, I mean, for the record, we do too, Brian. You should know that. Thanks. Uh, I will be at the UCF basketball game tomorrow night, men's basketball. I will be live tweeting that. Uh, I do hope to have my US, UCF, um, UCF Memphis football game preview up tomorrow night. Boy, I hope that's that. If, if, if at late is Friday morning, but certainly I'm trying to shoot for tomorrow night. And then I'll be at the basketball game. And then Friday, hoping to get an article up about how this UCF football team, no matter if they win on Saturday or not, no matter what happens the rest of the way, is the greatest football team in UCF football oh, history. And, and, oh, thank you, Eric. And you know what? It's not even a hot take anymore. It's not even a hot take because I said this, like, uh, back on the podcast, like, four weeks ago. It's a warm take. But, yeah. 
and we, we were supposed to argue about this, and maybe we will down the road. But uh, I, I will, well, we'll, let's, we let's, see. let's wait until let's wait until we see what's what Saturday brings yeah. us. But by the way, right. How about Danny White's reaction to the to the ranking the other night? <laughs> I I love that. I love having an AD that is not afraid to mix it up. And no. I mean, because he said exactly what all of us were thinking. Can I say something though? Okay. Like, what were people expecting? Like, to like, were people actually? I think people thought? were expecting uh, more than one spot. I think people were expecting Why? two or Why? three, I mean, like up to about twelve. Why? Because whether you like it or not, the committee has actually been pretty consistent. <laughs> they really have been very consistent. I, I, well, they, you're right. They have been consistently sandbagging UCF the entire <laughs> okay. year. That's fair. But again, let me make this clear. We're acting like this is a shocking development in college football, whereas this has been going on forever. I even tweeted this yesterday. All right. Let me let me let me uh, let me bring you this. You remember 1999? OK. Tulane, 12-0. and 0, Sean mm-hmm. King, Tommy Bowden. 1990, I mean, excuse me, 98, 98 to lane team, 1999 Marshall team that went 13 and 0, yeah. 2004 Utah, Alex Smith, Urban and Meyer, 12 and 0. How many 06. different Boise State teams went undefeated? 2006, 2009 to be specific, both went, one of them, 06, 13 and 0, 14 and 0 and 09, and then Utah in 08, 13 and 0, TCU in 2010, 13 and 0. You know what all they have in common with UCF? None of them sniffed a national championship game no. or even a playoff if they would have had it back then. No, this but I think, I think the difference was, though was that those teams were all ranked in the top 10 when they went into the bowl season. UCF can't even get that far. That's I think what people are upset about. They're going to get into the top 10 if they win out. They're going to get into the top 10. But fact, I think the whole think point is that we should be in the top 10 now. I think that's what everyone's who, point is. Uh, who cares? Does that who matter? Cares? Like so, you feel better if you're four spots ahead. ahead? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. that's so. what we're especially that's what when we're you, when you got here. nine and three Stanford two spots ahead of you who moved up which nine spots, which I predicted would happen because they got into the Pac-12 championship game. This is historically what the committee has done since they've had the playoff. They rank very high if they can the teams that are in the power five conference championship games. This is nothing new. This is not, it's going to continue next year, the year after that, until the system completely changes. You want to change it? Fine. Don't watch the bowl games. Don't watch any of those games. Protest it. Don't keep, don't come as sheep. That's what I would suggest. So based off of that, Eric Lopez, what do you have on tap this week? Well, I gotta, I'm going to be at a, a college cup. I'm going to the college cup for the women's soccer final four is here. Former UCF coach. I don't know if we're going to be, I don't know how often we're going to be saying that in the next week or two. Uh, will be Amanda Cromwell will be in attendance. Uh, obviously her UCLA Bruins made it to the college cup. So uh, I'm excited for her. She'll be there with UCLA. They play in the semis on Friday. Obviously I'll be at the championship game on Saturday. I will not be joining you two guys in the blog because you're I've working the game. I'm working the game. Jeff, you helped out. I guess you were the agent, uh, the Jimmy Sexton, if you will. Um, I'll take my 10% pulled, please. Thank you. You, 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 pulled them away, you pulled me away from the blog because I will be working the <laughs> spotting for the IMG, the radio national radio rights holder for the championship game. Uh, IMG will have it. Uh, Alan Bestwick will be calling the game. I'll be working with him along with Tony Pike, former Cincinnati Bearcat. Uh, oh, so wow, that's the Tony rate Pike. Okay. Like that, that'll be the national radio 
broadcast. So that's where uh, they, the IMG has the, the, the broadcast rights to that. So I will be a part of that on the radio site. So I will not be joining you two gentlemen in the blog. Uh, but if you want some good omen, I, I've done two. I, I believe this will be the, from a home game standpoint, this would be the third game that I have not been a part of the blog and, and UCF won those games. So when I work, usually UCF wins. That's my point. There you go. Well, well, to, to that point, if, if anything that's happened over the last four months, anything that's happened, it's happened and UCF has still won. So anything, <laughs> so really, like, I put a new picture on the wall, and UCF won that week. Oh, it must have something to do with that picture. <laughs> <laughs> whatever works, man. Just do it one yeah. more time. Right? Just yeah. do it, whatever's working there. Yep. So uh, I know, Murph, you'll be there. Jeff, we're working behind the scenes to sneak you in there. Maybe you get a pop-in visit, kind of <laughs> like uh, – Kind of like that surprise, shocking visit in WWE when you least expect the guy to return, like you know when Chris Jericho. Comes Do you have back my music up. ready to go? Is, yeah, no, no. Perfect. You got it. Right <laughs> oh, I, well, yeah, yeah. Well, no, because I, I I was doing this last week. I put uh, I think I attributed HBK's music to Tom Brady. So, Jeff, uh, do you have somebody in mind that maybe, I don't know, like a Diesel, you know, anything from Generation Uh, X, maybe? uh, Yeah. Gosh. uh, Come hmm. on. Um, What was that song? (laughs) What was that song, Out of Control? Who did that song back in the day? Can you you really, by the way, address your pathetic New York Giants before we go and the disgrace that they've become? Benching Eli Manning. And what I think is, is bad news from a UCF standpoint is bad news if you're Blake Bortles fan because I yeah. think Eli, uh, clearly this is the end of Eli Manning with the Giants and he's going to be a free agent. If you saw Tom Coughlin's reaction, Tom Coughlin's a big Eli guy for obvious reasons. So yeah. I, this is not good news for Blake Bortles. But go ahead, address but, him, Jeff. Okay, well, bef- you, real quick, before, I, before I address that, Brian, I believe the song you're looking for, by the, I, I was thinking of Hoobastank's Out of Control, but actually the, the proper music is – Pearl Jam's not for you, so go listen to that. Not for you by Pearl Fantastic. Um, uh-huh. the, uh, the, the Regarding the Eli thing, um, I blame John Mara. I blame the ownership. This is, this is, he was the one who made this call. It doesn't, the call doesn't get made without his say-so. Um, Gino Smith. Gino Smith, yeah, unbelievable. It, really, as though we need to find out what we it, as as though we need to find things out about Gino Smith that we don't already know. What you didn't see the thirty games of tape that he had beforehand? Are you kidding me on that? Um, and if you're going to put Davis Webb in there, I mean, okay, fine, but Eli got me two Super Bowls. He's the greatest quarterback in New York Giants history. Mark that down. That's a fact. Now, when you put together the all-time Giants team. Eli Manning's a quarterback. Everyone else is a distant second, including Phil Simms uh, and Y.A. Tittle, the late Y.A. Tittle. So, Sammy Ball. Uh, yeah, did Sammy Ball play with the Giants? No, he was a Redskin. Sammy Ball was oh, a Redskin. Oh, they play with the Giants. No, nah, no. Nah, I don't know. Oh. Did he play with the Giants? No, no. He didn't yes, play he with did. the Giants. Um, yes, Char- I know Jeff Hostetler did. Hostetler did, but you know he's won somewhere way down the line. Yeah, won a Super Bowl. But, um, so, so. So he play, no, no, Sammy. Sammy did not play with uh, with the Giants. He no. was a Redskin his entire career. Um, oh my God! I apologize, America. I'm that's all right. Fan. That's right. Nobody. I'm embarrassed. I, you might be thinking so, of so, Charlie Connerly, who uh, who was an excellent no, quarterback. No, 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 I absolutely was not thinking of Charlie Connerly. But thank you for trying to save me there. <laughs> Listen, so here's, here's the life question. raft. I'm trying to help you out on this one. Mark. <laughs> Go ahead, Eric. My question to both of you is: 
is Blake Bortles going to be out of a job a year from now because Eli Manning is going to be in Jacksonville? Because I think that's a strong See, possibility. There's there. your I, UCF I mean, no tie-in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you're Brandon a, Marshall, is Brandon Marshall a curse? Like, no. Everywhere Brandon he Marshall goes, is not a stop. Apart. It's not. It's this. None of this happened because of Brandon Marshall. Stop it. What does he do now? What does he do now? Does he stop like he's not going back to the Giants? He's not going to. What does he do now? Bra- Brandon, Bra- listen. Brandon has done such good work off the field that he could walk away from the game right now and be perfectly fine. He's he's done such good advocacy work for mental health. Um, he he'll have a much longer career doing that than he will as a pro football player, and probably a much a more successful career doing that than being a pro football football player. And he's been a pretty successful pro football player. Okay, so I so I think Brandon's fine. Um, the Eli thing to Jacksonville in place of Blake. That's that's interesting to me. That's really interesting. I mean, I would I would hate to see Blake lose his opportunity, considering that you know the Jacksonville's been pretty good this year, and he's managed to not get in the way of that. But you know, if you're Doug Marone, you don't want you don't want a quarterback that you have to keep out of the way in order for you to win. You want a quarterback who can win football games. I think Eli probably does have two or three good years left in him. Um, Boy, you uh, you plug him into that offense, things can get really interesting in Jacksonville in a hurry. I just if if it if that does come to pass and it comes at the expense of Blake Bortles, I'll be it'll be bittersweet for me to see that. Well, I saw it was Mike Florio today. I think I, on his show took either you, you could take either Jackson Eli to Jacksonville or the field to any other team, and I think he took Jacksonville. I think he feels that strong that could happen, and, and yeah. I know it's only one endpoint, but Mike Florio is pretty pretty well plugged in. Yeah, Mike Florio knows what he's talking about. What's what? What's Blake's contract? When does that come to an end? Goodness, why uh, can't we talk he's about? He's due. Uh, yeah, I know, right? He's <laughs> he's due. He's his base Perfectly salary. With fantasy questions. What's the Eli impact to Jacksonville? Yeah. The fantasy. Well, that's what Herb <laughs> knows. Doesn't care about contracts. Well, well, yeah. well. Bortles is. Uh, uh, Blake's 2018 cap number is uh, is 19 million dollars. Oh, yeah, that ain't happening, brother. <laughs> Eli's cheaper. Eli's yeah. cheaper. Eli's cheaper. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, Blake's gonna have to get a new address. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll see if they let him go. Um, Wait, since I've given I've given Murph so much credit for the UCF success, is the Giants the bo- uh, you know kind of self destruction <laughs> all court uh, kind of a coincidence with you visiting their training camp this year? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, I visited Giants training camp three times. One was in 1992. They went 6-10, and 10 and Ray Hanley got Good fired. Year. Terrible year. It's just absolutely horrendous. Then they hired Dan Reeves, who coaches the same players almost to a division title. Yeah. Um, uh, I think I had another one. Let's see. Uh, it, was, it was 1996. What do they mm-hmm. do? What do they do that year? Oh yeah, that was another six and ten year. So that was another gem. Was that like early John? Was that like early Jim Fossil year? No, that was that was Dan Reeves's last year. Last year, yeah. That was, uh, wow. Jim was Fossil. Canel like a rookie there. Danny Canel like rookie or Canel second year. was a. Uh, let's see. We had that uh, stiff from like Duke or whatever. Yeah, Brown Canel did oh, play. Dave- Canel did hey, play. Dave it was Brown, Dave Brown was the regular starter. Yeah, no, Dave Brown actually started all sixteen games. Um, Canel got in for four in garbage time, but um, but it wasn't and until they followed, the f- that up, they followed that up with Kent Graham, guys. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, they, they had like two or three stints of Kent Graham, all of which were really forgettable. Um, the, actually, no, with the following year, Murph, uh, 97, the Giants went 10-5-1. and one. In back of, this was Fo- that was Fossil's first year, in back of one Danny Cannell, Eric Lopez, uh, who, uh, who started the last 10 games after they finally put Dave Brown out of his misery. And, uh, and then that was the game where they, uh, in the playoffs, they, they faced Minnesota, and Minnesota scored something like 15 points in the final two minutes of the game or something like that to, to, to win it in Giants Stadium. And the Giants like blew, blew a, or 13 points in the last minute of the game. And uh, and the Giants blew it. Um, in uh, no, I'm sorry, that was wrong too. Ten points in the last minute of the game. Either way, it's e- either way. I just know that they gave up a lot of points in the last in the last minute of the game. They gave up an onside kick, and it was just it was just bad. But that that's my three. Yeah, and then this year I went to Giants training camp again, and this this year is turning out to be again <laughs> forgettable. Um, I have, so maybe I, I should them just putting, never I go to Giant Camp G- again. I applaud them for putting Gino in and and just uh, acknowledging that they are tanking. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank this you. is this is the this is the equivalent to starting like you know uh, <laughs> to, to starting like uh, Adam Morrison basically in the final week of the season, right? I mean, just we're yeah. we are waving the white flag up in here. This has been another great episode of the Blue, Red, White, Black, and Gold Band Red podcast. Yes, I loved it. Like, I loved the yeah. Giants deal there. That, that is Blue, Black, phenomenal. and Gold Band Red podcast. Well, at least there's a lot of alliteration there. All right. So as we wrap <laughs> up uh, here, guys, where can people follow you? Start with you, I am at I am at Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. All right. And Eric? Eric Lopez Elo. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. We, collectively are at UCF underscore Banneret. Don't forget, we will once again live blog the, co- the uh, American Athletic Conference championship game this Saturday. Kickoff is at noon. We'll start about an hour before that. Uh, it'll be me and Brian. Again, you won't hear from Eric because he's doing important work uh, for, the con- for, the, for the conference's uh, radio crew. And, uh, it, but, you know, I'm sure we'll hear from him afterwards. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret and, of course, at blackandgoldbanneret.com where you can sign up for email updates uh, as well as our podcast, which you have just listened to. And you can subscribe to us on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. For Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Championship Week. We'll see you on the live blog. On Saturday, this has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.